the eager ones right here in the middle, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's great to see all of you this morning. Yeah, we reserved those seats right up front for you this morning. Was that nice? <laughs> great. Well, it's good to be here with you. Uh, as always, it's my um, pleasure to be able to teach and uh, look into God's Word. Um, totally enjoy doing that with you and see myself as a learner along with you. So this is stuff that um, I am by no means the expert. We, we believe our teaching team is all about processing this together. And so it's, it's our pleasure to uh, be able to look into the Word of God. We're going to do that in just a moment. Can you believe it's already June, though? It's uh, June 5th, and I know um, some of our schools are already done. And so some of you are, I saw some, yeah, some are excited. Um, the other schools, we have one ending at the end of this week, one of our districts, and the elementary school district next week. So in the next couple of weeks, all of our, our kids will be experiencing freedom, and uh, the parents will lose theirs. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's good to be here in summer. Um, you know, one thing that we do here at Seacoast in the summer is our kids' ministry changes out most of their volunteers. They give their, their teachers the summer off and other people go in uh, to help out throughout the summer months. And, and I was thinking about that the other day and it's, we don't often pause to just reflect and thank you for all the people who volunteer, but the amount of people that it takes to pull off a Sunday morning around here, are quite a, there's quite a few. You have all those, build, that whole building there, the kids building is filled with teachers and workers, um, our youth, our junior high and high school. Uh, there's 26 life group leaders out there, so a bunch of you are leading life groups and, and teaching. There's the greeters and ushers, people who make coffee. We don't have a caterer do that. That's volunteer. So people come in and make the coffee for you. They get here early. And uh, it, our worship team, there's so many pieces. Uh, and, and I better say the tech team so they keep my mic on. You know, all these volunteers. Uh, I just, for all of you who contribute to make Seacoast happen week after week, we want to say thank you. And, and that includes those volunteering in the community. We have people working at Sunset High School up at Ocean Knoll doing tutoring. We have after-school programs. We have mission trips. It takes a lot of people. And I just want to say thank you for participating and being a part of this community. Seacoast is blessed by you. And we have so many amazing people here. And your heart is... this this. Congregation really is special. And so thank you all for, for all the ways that you contribute week after week to make Seacoast what it is. Um, it, it really is a joy to be a part of that. So thank you for doing that. And, and those of you who maybe you aren't jumping in and, and helping out other places, um, you could. Just, just saying. <laughs> you could. We would love to have um, everyone being a part of it. So um, one more thing before we get started here, we noticed the, the Verbeth family's with us, and uh, we didn't plan this, but just go, go ahead and stand up so we can thank you. for These are our missionary couple to France, and uh, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to see you. They'll be here till the end of the month, I just found out, till the 30th. So if you know the Verbeths, they're one of our uh, families that we support as missionaries, and they're uh, living in France and have had... You know, it's um, an interesting year over there. A lot of different things have happened, so we'd love to hear more. So, but thank you for being back, and thank you for for willingly sacrificing and going. It's not easy to be called to, um, you know, have a high schooler, um, and they 
felt a call to go and serve um, a community that is largely non-Christian. And so we're grateful for your, call, your obedience to the call. And good to have you back with us today. All right. Well, it is June, and we are still in the book of Ephesians. And we began this process all the way back in, in the fall. We don't often spend this much time on one book, but one this book has a lot to talk about. But we felt like when we were thinking through Scripture, well, first of all, we think all Scripture is inspired by God and useful for training and teaching. So we, we're okay studying anything for that long. But we really, in particular, when we looked at the book of Ephesians, we felt like there's so much in this that applies to our entire lives. You see, because Paul, the, the one, Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he wrote it to a church in a town called Ephesus, and he wrote with this understanding and belief that if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no area of your life that should be unaffected by that friendship with Jesus. So Paul addresses every area of our lives internally and externally throughout this letter. How we interact as a church, how we interact in our family relationships, and how we even respond to God internally. So this letter really has, it, it addresses, it's kind of a holistic approach to our lives, which I, we love. We found that when we, we started studying this, that Paul deals with, when we, we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that, that affects our identity and our self, sen, sense of worth find that in Ephesians chapter 1 when he talks about we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. God doesn't just, he doesn't need us and say, oh, I need some people to do my work. He, he loves us. He chooses us. He wants us he, to be a part of a friendship with him. We find throughout this book that it, it affects our forgiveness and our freedom from sin. We learn that in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, that because of the work of Jesus Christ, he reaches out and he gives us this freedom from our sin. The spiritual consequences have been forgiven. But then also, we no longer have to work our way back to God. There's not something we have to do to some sort, some sort of kind of um, system where you earn what you've, the penalty or, or earn off all the thing that you owe God. No, that's gone. So we find a sense of forgiveness and freedom from sin in Christ. We found that we have a purpose for living. In Ephesians 2.10, says that God has created us in a way and prepared for us some work that we can participate with Him, good works. God has invited us as followers of Him to participate with Him. We're agents of reconciliation and redemption, of grace and mercy and justice in this world. And the followers of Jesus participate with God in enacting this justice and grace and mercy in all of our relationships and interactions. And so we have, a, we have a reason to live. We have something bigger that calls us. We also found in this book that we have an assurance and a sense of belonging, a boldness and confidence as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. Because of Jesus, we can be assured that our faith makes a difference. And all of this is kind of that internal side. Now the last few weeks we've been looking at the practical side of daily relationships. A few weeks ago we saw the relationship between husbands and wives and then parents and children. And last week and this week we're now looking at the workplace. What it means to be a worker who's affected by a follower of Christ, being a follower of Christ. And this week we're going to take that same idea and extend it and look at the next verse where it actually works, talks about what about when we lead? And it's not just the head of the company we're talking about today. It's not just the CEOs. It might be if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor. Maybe you're a team leader on a project. Maybe you just have seniority and you've been working there a long time and people look to you. 
Perhaps it's not in the workplace. Do you lead in a community organization? Maybe uh, you coach a team. All of these areas, God has wisdom for us. And as we're followers of Jesus, these are areas of our lives that also are affected. And so today we want to look at what does it mean as we lead to lead in a way that honors God and follows and is influenced and changed by being a follower of Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at today. And we find that all of these relationships are now defined in terms of Christ, not in terms of culture. So that's what we're going to look at. So pray with me and then I invite you to open up to Ephesians 6. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for your word. Uh, And God, I pray this morning that you would teach all of us. You would inspire all of us. Help all of us have a greater understanding of what it means to live and lead in the way that you've called us to. In all those areas, we all have areas in our lives where we can lead. And God, help us do it in a way that honors you. And let this be about you, Lord. And as I teach, let these be your words, not mine, so that we can all move forward as people who lift your name up. So we thank you for this time and give it to you now. Amen. So I invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 9 in just a moment. You know, I, I've often shared, I've had this long work experience. I remember my very first jobs when I used to work on my grandfather's farm. Every summer I moved there and spent two years living on the farm and baling hay the entire summer. And, and I did that for many years. Um, throughout the rest of the year, I mowed lawns in my neighborhood it was, you know, when you're 12 years old and you can make, you know, $20 mowing someone's lawn, that was, that was good paying. That was pretty good money. And, and so I did that for many years. My first real job uh, where, you know, there was like rules you had to follow um, was when I worked, I was a dishwasher at a seafood restaurant. That was fantastic. Came home smelling like seafood. Uh, it was wonderful. So I did that for a while. I worked as a busboy. I was, I think those are server assistants now, right? Everything changes. So I worked as a busboy, and then I was a server for many years. Um, I worked in church. Uh, I worked in public schools, uh, in administration, and I also I did substitute teaching for years. So I've had all of these different experiences. And, and I've shared with you, and you know, so, some of my journey when I was a, a part of a church plant several years ago up in Orange County. Part of the way of funding that, I worked for a, a retail company and a coffee a large coffee company, and I was doing uh, some store management. And during those times, I, I think a month ago, I shared this story of once when I was working in the store that the store was just a complete mess. And I was, um, the, the other part of this story, so I was in that, that store, and there was just so many things that were wrong. And every day I'd get calls at like 4.30 a.m. saying someone didn't show up, or there's a piece of equipment broken, or the shipment didn't come in, or just always issues. And... One day I was talking with one of my friends who also was another manager who was a peer mentor of mine. And I was on the phone with him kind of talking about the store and sharing about some of the struggles and things we're going through. And, and he said, hey, I've been there. I, I know exactly um, what you're going through. And I, it was just nice to have him understand it. And, and then he said, you know, I, and I know exactly what you're thinking and how you feel. And I thought, well, that's good, because in my mind, here's what I was thinking. I cannot wait for one of these days, my phone to ring at 4.30 a.m., and have it be one of my workers saying, hey, the store burned down. I'm like, sweet. I don't have to come in today. That's so great. That's kind of, that, because that's what I was thinking, actually. So when he said, I know exactly what you're thinking, and then he said, you just can't wait to wake up in the morning and get in there and make things right. 
that wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> that wasn't anything what I was thinking. <laughs> and I didn't tell him that, but I just kind of went like, huh, uh-huh. And he goes, yeah, because, you know, you, you, they put you there for a reason. And, and, and you have a, an opportunity now to totally change things around and, and make things better. And I'm just like, wow. Uh. And in the course of that moment, it, it was about a three-minute conversation. And I literally changed my entire approach. You see, my tasks didn't necessarily change. I still was doing the same things. But my attitude and approach towards it was very different. And what I realized was, what if all of the people in the world who says they're followers of Jesus had that approach to their work? I kind of thought, maybe that's what it should look like for followers of Jesus to approach their work. With this sense of purpose and calling, understanding that I am here for whatever reason, God has me here, and while I'm here, I'm going to do the best I can to take advantage of the responsibilities that have been given to me in a way that honors God. And at that moment, I felt very convicted because it changed my entire attitude and approach. And I actually really grew to love that store. Glad I'm not there anymore, but I loved that store for the season. And I was thinking, you know, there's over a billion Christians in the world. What if all of us approached work that way? What if all of us worked as if we were working unto the Lord? What difference would that make in the world? Could you imagine if it was really Christians had this reputation of being the people you have to hire? You go in for a job interview and they find out you're a Christian and they say, are you serious? You're a follower of Jesus? Which they can't ask you, I get it. But if they say, are you a follower of Jesus? Oh, you got the job. Because we love to have Christians working here. You are the type of people we need. And so today, as we, last week and this week, as we're studying how Jesus affects our work, see, it's bigger. It matters to God. It matters to God because this is the reputation of His kids. This is a reputation of our Father in heaven. And how we approach it makes a difference. And it makes a difference day after day. So today we're going to look at, in particular, what it means to have positions of influence and leadership and again, I think it applies to all of us. We all have leadership in different areas of our lives. We all have leadership. It may not be in your, you might be the bottom person at work, but there's some areas in your life where you have influence and leadership. And so we're going to learn from that. And it starts in verse 9, and it says this, Masters, do the same things to them. So let's stop right there. When it says do the same things to them, we, gotta, we need to figure out what that means. So we're going to back up actually to last week. And in verse 5 through 8, it gives us a little more context of what Paul is talking about. So let's look at that, and we're going to run through it pretty quickly. It says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. And again, if you weren't here last week, we kind of addressed briefly the idea of slavery. Is, is the Bible condoning it? And the quick answer is no. Uh, but there was a cultural context here in which the, most of the workers, 50% of the workforce, were considered slaves. So it means workers in our context today. So workers, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as man-pleasers, but as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So 
then in verse 9, when he says, Masters, do the same things to them, means to those who work for you. So behave in the same way that we've asked your workers to behave. You do the same things. So we're going to review quickly those things that Matt, our young adults pastor, taught us last week when he taught here on Sunday morning. And we're just going to kind of look at some of those. I have them on the screen for you. But if we break it down, here's the things that this is how we work according to Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 8. The first is this. Let's work with respect. Work with respect for the people that you interact with. You value them. You respect them. Uh, with sincerity. I love this. The Greek word actually uh, comes from a root that has to do with uh, if you have a, a piece of cloth and it's folded, it means without any folds, without wrinkles, is this word for sincerity. In other words, it, it's this picture of there's nothing hiding. If you picture a, a cloth that maybe is folded over and it has a pattern on it, you don't see the whole pattern. Maybe you don't get what it is. But without any wrinkles and you stretch it out, you can see it for what it is. So with sincerity has to do with this attitude towards your work that you say what, what you see is what you get. It lends itself towards integrity, towards simplicity. It's not complicated. There's no political maneuvering. It's this is who I am and I'm going to work and you understand where I'm coming from and where I'm going. So it's with sincerity, without folds. I love that. From your heart. Again, we talked about last week how the first two are a little bit easier because they're outward. You can do those things. They're outward actions. But from the heart starts to get more tricky. How can we be people who do this, who really mean it, work with sincerity and respect, but from your heart? Pour your heart into it. I would say that was a good example of what my, my peer, my mentor in that retail environment had. That attitude that says, oh, you just can't wait to make it right. I think, well, really? But it's so inspiring, and I understood it after that. With consistency. With consistency. Again, this is when people are watching and when they're not watching. With consistency. Work as if to the Lord. When you lead, lead with consistency. Don't behave one way and then behave differently when no one's watching. Lead with consistency and work with consistency. And with goodwill. You have good intentions. You want peace in the relationships and harmony. And, and you're truly out for what the good of those in the organization, whichever you are working. So, excuse me. So that is how we work. And leaders need to lead in the same way. So we need to begin with these as part of our attitude. With these are the characteristics of your lives as you lead. You do not have a past because you're in charge. So, if we do that, this kind of life brings glory to God. And so it's important that leaders lead that way. So now let's talk specifically how we lead. Again, in verse 9, Masters, do the same things to them, so behave in these ways towards those who work for you. And give up threatening. Okay, this one I, I kind of feel like, do we need to go into it too much? And give up threatening? Um, and, and this is not saying don't have consequences or boundaries. Okay, so one person after our first service said, well, I threaten my kids all the time. Am I like violating this? <laughs> and I thought, well, no, with kids it's different. But um, no, <laughs> no it, it's not saying that there's consequences if you don't succeed. You still have to have it because you still have to lead. There's still times you lead. In, in the context of Paul writing to, this was very specific in that masters could threaten their slaves with 
imprisonment. They could threaten them with death. (laughs) They could threaten them with beatings. And Paul, there's a spirit of harshness in there. But this is not saying, you can't say, hey, if your performance doesn't change, we really have to make a change. We can't have you performing this way. That's okay, because that's called leadership. There's times you have to do that. I think of um, when I coach sports, uh, maybe I do threaten. I probably threaten a little bit, the kids I coach. But uh, for sure, there's the, the, hey, if you guys don't start listening, we're doing 100 push-ups. And there's always like the one kid is like, I want to do push-ups. And, and so I'm like, okay, all of you down, 100 push-ups. You know, and it's, I, I actually take great joy in that. But... <laughs> And there's probably something about that. If your heart is overjoyed when you uh, follow through on your threat, maybe that's wrong. But parenting coaching is different. I told you. <laughs> Just kidding. No, so give up threatening. It's your heart that's involved in it. Is it for the good of this person? Or is it because you want to enact revenge and, and um, kind of exercise your power over them as if just to squash them and keep them down? That's more of the heart behind that. So next one is this. And this is where we get a little bit more, uh, a lot more challenging. So Paul says, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Know that the people that you lead, and you yourself, you have the same master, and he's in heaven, and he doesn't play favorites. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, just because you're in charge, that doesn't mean that in the eyes of God that you are way more important than they are. In fact, you're not more important than they are just because you're in charge. And just because maybe they're in a, a position in your organization, they could be a, the lowest paid person. In the eyes of God, they are just as important as you are. So be very careful in how you interact and behave with people because when we use the human economy, it always has to do with how much status you have and power you have and and we tend to treat people based on that. But with God, He says, no, we don't base how we treat people on where they are in the social status because in the eyes of God, you are no better than they are. You're all my valued possessions and you all bear the image of God and I care for all of you. So understand that you both have the same master and he's in heaven. Now, I think we can probably hear that and many of us who maybe have a background in scripture and we've been studying it, we hear it and we say, okay, that makes sense. I'm good with it. I can follow that. But think of what the the practical implications really of that are. Now, this doesn't mean that There are no bosses and no leaders, of course. We've already said that obviously he's speaking to those who have authority. But it's how do we interact and treat those who are under our care? Do we treat them as people with value or not? And if our master is in heaven and our master is is the creator of the universe and he came and lived on this earth in the form of man named Jesus Christ, shouldn't we look to Jesus as our example of how this plays out? Because if he's our master, I think I would say, okay, Jesus, so how did you do it? Now, he may n- maybe never ran a large company here in modern-day America, but he understood leadership. He understood how to lead others. And so what I'd like to do is take a moment and, and I invite you to turn over to John chapter 13. Because when Paul is t- letting us know that 
with God there is no partiality. There's no, you're not better than anyone else. We should look to how Jesus interacted to get what it means to lead and be people of influence. And when I was thinking of what is the best example from Jesus' life, I, I thought of this story in John chapter 13. When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Now, for if you've been around Scripture for a while, you may be familiar with the story. And perhaps even some of you who, you're not even familiar with Scripture, you maybe have heard the term of wash someone's feet and you kind of know the imagery. But I want to take a look at the story today and maybe through a different lens. Because this story really has some profound things happening. You see, because this takes place on what's called the Passover dinner. And it's, after about three years of Jesus hanging out with his disciples. See, he was their teacher. He's the one who led them. They walked with Jesus for three years. They saw him heal people who were sick. They saw him cast out demons. They saw Jesus confront religious leaders of the day who everyone else was afraid of. They saw him stand up to Roman government officials with the truth. They saw Jesus kneel down and take kids in his arms and said, "This is these kids are what matters." They saw this great strength come from him and this great tenderness. They saw the life of Jesus for three years, and, and it culminated in this week when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, as a prophecy said that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the crowds began shouting "Hosanna," which means "God save us." And they began singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And these are songs and psalms that were sung during Passover week. When the nation of Israel was thinking about a Messiah who would come and deliver them. And they sang them to Jesus and said, here is our king. Here is the one with the authority from God. The son of God who's sent to us and who will lead our people At that moment, that week of the Passover, they were declaring that Jesus Christ was king. The crowds were declaring it. There is no higher position you and I will ever come close to than being Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And Jesus was declared to have that just a couple days before. So keep that imagery in your mind. The crowds just declared him as King of Kings. And now he's having dinner with his disciples. Passover dinner. And it was customary that you would walk in uh, this house and we know it's a guest room prepared for them. Would have been a common practice for people to prepare rooms because of all the pilgrims that would be there in Jerusalem for Passover. And they would have a basin of water near the door. And often the servant, the slave would wash the feet of the guests as they would come in. But this night, as Jesus and his disciples entered the guest room, there was a basin of water, but there was no servant. So they walked in and they looked at it and they thought, well, oh well, no servant. They came in anyways. They sat down and they began having the Passover meal. It says in John 13. Now Passover, another thing to keep in mind, is one of the main things about Passover, it's a remembering of the story of the Exodus. It's remembering that 
the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. That they were slaves. They did not have freedom. They were servants of the Egyptians. And this whole meal was to remember that we once were slaves, but God delivered us and set us free from that. So you recall the story, and you recall the bitterness and the tears of slavery and how difficult that was, and you're telling that story to one another. And it's in the midst of the storytelling that there's a pause And there's some pauses throughout the night. And at one of those, we see Jesus, we read in John chapter 13, that got up. And he walked over to the basin and he poured water into it. Now at this point, if you were in the room, what would you be thinking? Maybe, oh, here goes Jesus again. He's going to tell a good story and there's going to be an illustration here. Oh, he went to get the basin of water. Let's see where he goes with this one. And he walked over and grabbed the basin of water and he came over to the disciples and set the basin on the ground. And he took off his outer robe. And now all of a sudden he looked just like a servant. And then he kneeled down at the feet of his disciples who were reclining. And reclining was a position that you would take when you were a free person. See, it said they were reclining at the table. They were laying back. That means you were not a slave. But Jesus kneeled down next to them as they reclined. And he undid the sandals of the first disciple and began to wash their feet. Now, when I've read this story in the past, often I've thought of that, like, how awkward would that be to be one of the disciples? I don't know about you, but I I don't like people touching my feet at all. And there's got to be a couple disciples who are like, no, no, come on, off my feet. (laughs) But then, wait, no, but you're Jesus. No, you were just, we just saying King of kings and Lord of lords. You were the one who, you led us, our people. You gave us our freedom. And no, 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 you are king. You can't wash my feet. But we don't read that in the story. Well, we read one of them. Peter said it. When he got to Peter, I don't know if he was first or second or he's the last one. When they got to Peter, he said, seriously, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? I don't think so. At least I can relate to that, to Peter, right? To say, no, 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 please don't touch my feet. And Jesus said, well, you have no part of me if you don't let me do this. And I love Peter. Then he's like, okay, then wash all of me. But notice what doesn't happen here. And, and I was thinking of this story and trying to think of it in the perspective of Jesus. And did it go the way he was hoping? Or do you think he was hoping for something to be a little different? You see, he started washing the feet of the first disciple. And I kind of wondered, do you think after a couple of them, Jesus was praying to the Father and thinking, oh, Father, please help them get what I'm doing. Please help them get the moment. God, would you at least teach one of these knuckleheads what I'm doing? And they probably kept looking at each other like, I'm not sure what he's doing. (laughs) Do you think he was longing for one of them, at least one of them, to say, wait, 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 okay, Jesus, got it, get it, I got it. Okay, get the point. No, no, give me the basin, I'll do it. I'll wash the other guys. You do Judas, I'll do the rest. And do you think he was hoping that one of them would get it? But they didn't. 
Nobody said, Jesus, let me do that for you. Remember, you're Lord of Lords, King of Kings, sing about you. You shouldn't be washing feet. No one wanted to do it. Why? I think when we read the stories of the disciples during this week, we find the answer. And that is they kept asking questions of Jesus like, hey Jesus, when you come back, can we be number one and two? Can we sit on your right and left? Even their moms were getting involved. (laughs) They wanted to make sure that they had status in this new kingdom that Jesus was enacting. And they were, I have a feeling they were afraid. If I wash Peter's feet, he's going to hold that against me forever. He's like, no, you're my foot washer. (laughs) If they see me as a, they're going to think I'm just a servant. They're going to think I'm just a slave if I wash their feet. Then I can't be number one or two. All the while, they're not getting it that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is not worried about that right now. He's serving. You see, often in our lives, when we lead, when we're in positions of authority, it's something that God has placed us in, and that's great. But we're often afraid to humble ourselves and serve others because they might think of you as not as powerful as really you are. But notice, Jesus never worried about what they thought about his power. I love this. Look at this in in John chapter 13 and verse 12. So Jesus had washed their feet. He'd taken his garments back and he, he reclined at the table again with them. And he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? And, and this is one of those, it doesn't say any of them answered. And they probably were thinking like, I know whatever I say is wrong. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> And he says this in verse 13, don't miss this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. See, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and that was not a, this was a strong title. Lord, no one else is Lord, but Lord God alone. And you're right to call me that, because that's who I am. I kind of picture when he said that, it was like one of those moments that earth shuddered a little. When Jesus says, I am Lord, you couldn't have just heard that and thought, oh yeah. It's kind of like in your place, like, oh my goodness. You call me Lord and that's who I am. So if then the Lord washes your feet, you ought to wash others' feet. For I, each other's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave's not greater than his master, nor is one who's sent greater than him who sent him. You see, in this moment, Jesus gave us a picture of what it means to lead. To be willing to put yourself lower than someone else for their benefit. It didn't diminish his status as leader. It didn't diminish his status as Lord. It elevated the people he was around. Paul speaks of it in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, if you have any encouragement also have the same minds as Christ had. And catch this in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, if we are to follow Jesus' example of leadership, we need to look out for the interests of those in whom are under our care. We need to consider them. We need to care about them. Now again, some of you will say, well, that's Christianity 101. I get it. But do you? Can you serve the way Jesus served? 
Do you look out for their interests? Do you consider them as more important than yourself? You know, in this room, we have some amazing people who lead large businesses, small businesses, and they treat their employees and, their, and they, deal, they run their businesses with great integrity. There's some amazing examples throughout this congregation, and I thank you for those of you who do that. We have a lot we can learn from you. And they will tell you it's not easy. There's challenges that come up. There's dilemmas that you face daily. But my guess is each one would tell you that it's worth it in the end. My guess is also when we, they would tell you that when you treat people this way, for the most part, it works out for you. There's always outliers in any situation. I get it. Jesus had Judas, so there's sometimes outliers. <laughs> but he didn't change who he was based on the circumstance. He looked out for their interest in an opportunity to elevate them in who they are. So can we have that attitude that Jesus had in the opportunities we are given where we lead? If it's at work, if it's in a community organization, if it's in your neighborhood, in your family, can you have that attitude? Ken Blanchard is an author. He wrote the book, The One Minute Manager. It has sold millions and millions of copies. And he had a follow-up book that he wrote with a guy named Phil Hodges called Lead Like Jesus. Now, when I first saw this, I actually kind of was like, uh, it's going to be one of those cliche, you know, Christian, overly Christianized this, and it's going to be kind of cheesy. That's really what I thought about that it would be. Because sometimes some of the books are like that. And I picked it up and started going through it, and I was really impressed by actually the concepts there. Not dumbing it down, but really having this lofty view of what leadership looks like and how Jesus approached leadership. And I believe in a way that can apply to all of our situations. But he had two questions that he said all leaders need to answer, and I believe we all need to answer this today. The first question is this, whose am I? In other words, who are you working to please? Who is it that you set out to please each day? Is it just your shareholders, your boss, the CEO, your customers? The parents of the kids you coach? Is that who you're trying to please? Now, is it okay if you please those people? Well, yes, it is. If your shareholders are not pleased or your boss is not pleased, eventually you will have to have new boss and shareholders. (laughs) But is your chief aim just to please them? Is that where you begin? Or is your heart to say, God, how can I please you with what you've given under my care? How can I please you today in my work? How can I please you in the teams that I coach, the clubs that I lead? How can I please you, God? I've shared before, uh, at the beginning of sports season, the baseball season, we have a draft, and I always make this prayer that says, God, help me just send me the students that you want to have on my team this year. The people that you want me to coach, for whatever reason, God, you pick them. And every year after the draft, I argue with God and say, like, seriously, you didn't pick any pitchers? I mean, come on, God. (laughs) But the prayer really begins with, God, how can I please you with this responsibility you're giving me this year? How can I please you with that? Because that's more important than a trophy at the end of the year. It's how can I please you? When you approach your work, is it, God, how can I please you as I lead? That's who, who do you belong to? Do you belong to God? Or the shareholders. The second question Blanchard said we should ask is, who am I? 
So first is whose am I? The next one is who am I? What is my purpose? What gives me significance in life? Is your significance found in the paycheck? Is it in the promotion? Is it in the profit margin? Is it in the trophy that you win? Is it in having the best uh, adventure guides club in the, in the country? Is it, what is it that you find your significance in? That's who you are. Where you find your significance defines who you are. Or do you find significance in your friendship with God? Is significance and success for you when you can honestly please Him with the way you live and you can honestly please Him with how you serve others, how you build other people up, how you can submit and say, you know what, God, I want these people to have, be so blessed today. That's where I find significance and my true purpose that comes from you. When we can answer those questions in a way that honors God, then we can lead like Jesus. We can please God with our lives. Now this ends this whole section here in Ephesians, and I want you to notice one thing. Each of these practical relationships we've looked at, they're challenging. When you look at husbands and wives, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's challenging. You look at parents and child relationship. You look at workers and, and leaders. And in all of these, the underlying theme throughout is this. Submit to one another. Willingly give up your preference and your position. Now, again, you're not, giving, you're not resigning as CEO, but giving up your need for power and position and willingly elevating others. That's the whole theme of this whole section. We read that in Ephesians 5.21, right before the section begins. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's not easy. We invite the worship team to start making their way up. I want to leave you with a challenge. So when we think of this and think, God, how can we in every relationship of our lives being willing to give up a part of ourselves for the benefit of others, how can we do that time after time, day after day? That is impossible. And God would say, yeah, it is, on your own. <laughs> but that whole section actually begins in chapter 5, verse 18, when Paul commands us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God did not leave us without the fuel to do this. And that is a life that's reliant upon the Spirit of God. So God, be the one to empower us, to give us the fuel we need to be the people you want us to be. So as we end here today, I want you to ask those two questions. As, as you approach your work, your volunteer work, your community, your family, whose are you? Who do you belong to? And who are you? What defines your significance? And let us be a church that is defined by Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that is so inspired and desiring to follow Jesus that we can't help but to make a difference when we go through these doors. That we can't help but to see our community transformed because what Christ has done in us. Let us be that church. Because anything less isn't worth it. That's where we want to find our significance. As Christ defines us. So let's pray as we end here and and some of you, this morning, maybe God's calling you to give up a piece of yourself. A little piece where you keep holding on to 
Maybe some of you for the first time need to surrender and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want this God to be my master. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you in just a moment. And we'll stick around after the service too. We'll pray for you if you want to come up front for more prayer. Let's let God move in this place and let him define who we are. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the challenge you give us in working, the challenge you give us in leadership. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us the best example to follow of a willingness to lower yourself so you can elevate others. God, it's for their good so they can experience your grace, so they can experience your love, so they can experience your mercy, your justice. Lord, may we be that kind of people. Would you teach us where we need to give up, where we need to submit to you? Lord, would you give us the power to do that that only comes through your Spirit of God in us? Lord, would you use this church to transform the community here in North County, in Africa, in France? Wherever you send us, Lord, would you work through us to change lives for your name and for your glory. We thank you and ask you to speak to us now as we continue to worship. Amen.